Does anybody need an outline? Thanks, Titus. Appreciate you handing that out to everybody. I think Vern needed one. Does anybody else want an outline of the Bible verses just to have them? Okay, laying on a boy. Uh, it just helps because I, I think on this particular day there's 15 verses or something in the Bible, and so if you just want to make notes next to it, Donaldo needs some. I think, Donaldo, you actually beat me yesterday to the string uh, concert by about two minutes, so Stephanie, you lost the bet because you, you bet that I would be there before Donaldo, so... Yeah, that's right. She does, yeah. So we had a stringed instrument deal yesterday with the kids uh, for some of the violin and viola is another one of the instruments. And so there was a group of about 30 kids that were playing and adults that were playing on stage, and it was pretty neat to see them do that. And every time Evelyn, early on, would get kind of worked up about her uh, ability to play the violin, and she would start to get depressed, and she'd say, I don't want to play this anymore, I'm not very good, I would grab the violin, and I would start to play it, and within about three seconds at her laughing, uh, and then she'd pick it up again, and she had no problem, and I said, so this is what not really good is, and now this is what good is, so anyway, um, this morning I'm going to build on Justin's sermon from last week, and I want to dive into this passage that he had mentioned uh, about towards the end of the message, and it's Luke 17, 5. And like I said, there's a lot of scriptures uh, this morning that we're going to go over. Uh, if you have something to write down, great. If not, then I have a pamphlet because apparently I talk fast. We've already established that. Luke 17, 5. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. I want you to look at how that's written. It's written as a statement rather than a question. Um, they didn't say, will you help us have more faith? And they didn't say, how can we have more faith? They simply made a statement posed as almost a demand. Increase our faith. And in the original Greek interlinear manuscript, it's recorded, and said the apostles to the Lord, add to us faith. And said to the apostles... To the Lord, add to us faith. And what caused me to look in this particular passage is when Justin mentioned it last week, uh, I, I noticed that they were posing a statement, a command, a demand, rather than a question. I want to give you an example. My kids say, uh, Dad, feed us to remove our hunger. And I say, if you had food in your bellies, you wouldn't be hungry. Dad, feed us to remove our hunger. And my response is, if you had food in your bellies, you wouldn't be hungry. And I feel like how Jesus responded to them when they said, increase our faith. Because the very next passage, and the Lord said, if you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. It doesn't seem to have a response to increase our faith. He doesn't say, this is how you increase our faith. He simply says, if you had faith, you could say to this mulberry tree, if you had faith of a mustard seed, and we can get into this whole commentary and the different beliefs and the different teachings about the, the mustard seed and it's the smallest of seeds and the mulberry tree has got all these roots and they're wild and they're long and they're deep and they're hard to get out and when they get out, if you can get them out and you throw it into the sea, it can't root itself and all your worries are disappeared into the sea. I mean, there's all these, I read, I've read 50 commentaries on this one passage over the last week 
And every one of them just kind of lean towards the same thing, is that what Jesus is saying is even if you have a little, a little bit of faith, you can do something amazing. If you had just a little bit of faith, you could do what you would consider the impossible. But we're not going to talk about what Jesus meant on the mulberry. We're going to talk about the fact that when they said increase our faith, his initial response was not, well, here's how you do it. His initial response was, well, if you had faith like the mustard seed, then you could do something impossible, what you consider impossible. So this morning, I want to explore his response and what happened right before in Luke 17 and what happened right after he talked about the mulberry tree. And hopefully we can apply it to our lives and we can leave here a little bit more enriched on how to have an increased faith. Um, in order to do that, I think we need to understand the word faith. The Greek word is pronounced pistis, and it's P-I-S-T-I-S, and it means credence, conviction of religious truth, constancy of such profession, assurance, belief, fidelity. That's what this word faith means. The meaning of the word faith throughout the Bible, I think it's over 300 times, just the word faith or faithful, over 300 times in the New Testament, and probably another 154 more when it comes to faithfulness, or epistes, which is uh, unfaithful. So we can look at this word and we can understand it means credence, conviction of religious truth, constancy of that profession. So there's this action word attached to it when it's faith. It's not just a mental recognition of something. It's a, 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 a constancy of that profession. It's an assurance. It's a belief. It's a fidelity. I'm going to give you an example that you can read the different words of faith throughout the Bible, and they can mean slightly different things, but they all kind of fall within this definition. In James chapter 2, most of us are very familiar with James chapter 2, and it's the passage about um, showing favoritism in the church, and then uh, later on it's this, this idea of faith without works is dead. And in James 2.17, it says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So when I preach on a subject, I don't want to just take every single time it says faith and say, see, see, see. I want to look at the context and, and what maybe the writer was implying when he wrote that. So in James 2.17, when he says, so also faith by itself, I would look at that to say, so also belief by itself, so also conviction by itself, if it does not have works, if there is not a conviction of religious truth that leads to a profession or a constant profession, if you don't have that, if you just have a belief or a conviction, but you don't have anything to follow up to complete faith, it's a dead faith. Another example is in Hebrews chapter 11. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11, which we're going to look at a little bit, because it's the hall of fame of faith, but in Hebrews 11 verse 23, it's talking about Moses. And when I read this years ago, I look at that and, and I, I thought, what an interesting what an interesting. Uh, an interesting passage because Moses came along thousands of years before Jesus came along, according to our New Testament. I know we can look at the fact that in Genesis it talks about in the beginning, you know, was the word and that uh, God said, let us make man in our image. So we can deduce from the Genesis that we have the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But in, Gen in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. 
By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So his faith was not just a conviction, it was not just a belief, but it was this assurance, it was a fidelity, it was a constancy of such profession. His faith led him, which is part of faith, to refusing to be known as the son of Pharaoh and enjoy the pleasures of being with the Egyptians. And instead, it says here, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. So, we look at this heavenly reward and that God created the world uh, as part of faith. We understand that in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about the perfect definition of faith uh, or the definition of faith, which is going to be the coined answer. What is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So, it's the assurance. This is what faith is. The assurance of things hoped for, meaning um, I hope for heaven. I hope for a heavenly reward. And the conviction of things not seen. When someone says to me, prove to me that God spoke the world into existence, I would say prove to me that he didn't. It's a faith perspective that we look at the things that we can see were clearly made of things that we can't see. God spoke them into existence. That is a level of faith. It's an assurance that that's the way God did it. So, faith is this word that gets kicked around. Does everybody kind of have a clear understanding of faith or am I just babbling here. A belief, an assurance, a conviction, um, something that we, faith is something that we act upon in order for it to be true faith. We're going to look at that in James here in a bit, but faith is this word that gets kicked around in our Christian society. It gets kicked around uh, in songs. I think maybe the song had, a couple of songs had faith in it, maybe not, but we have a lot of songs written about faith. We have churches named after the word faith. We have plans of salvation through faith. And my goal this morning, so now you get to the introduction, now we get to the Roman numeral one. My goal this morning is to look at how we can increase our faith in God, how we can increase our belief, our assurance, our conviction based on this. We go back to that Luke passage when the apostles or the disciples said increase our faith. I don't think there's a human in this room that wouldn't like a deeper level of faith. Chris is shaking his head. I'm shaking my head. Faith, I talked about it last two weeks ago and it, it caused some people to come talk to me about it positively and negatively. I talked about uh, anxiety. I talked about depression and how I am under the belief that faith um, in God and faith in God, God's word can help with those things. Um, I believe that we can, we can, in a sense, we can cure ourselves. Sometimes we have, uh, my buddy told me don't be a doctor, but I'm going to play Dr. Phil. I was called that earlier this week by a client. Um, sometimes we have things in our mind that I think can be cured through uh, positive thinking and through focusing on God and focusing on the good things. And my goal is to look at how do we increase that faith because as we go throughout our day, as we go throughout our week, as we go throughout our month and our year and we just live this life, I think there's a lot of times when if we just had a deeper level of faith, things would 
be a little bit easier to get through. And we can rely on our Heavenly Father. Um, there's a few things that I think are important to understand as we go forward with this when talking about faith and that uh, if you think that you can please God without faith, you're doing the impossible. As Hebrews 11 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6. I want to look at another passage real quick in 1 Corinthians 13 and I wrote here that faith is a gift. I think faith is a gift just like I think prophecy is a gift. Teaching is a gift. Prayer is a gift. I believe that uh, financial resources are a gift from God. I think some people can manage them well, some people can't. If someone is truly seeking after God, God's going to say, no, I'm not going to make you rich, because if I make you rich, you're going to leave me, and I don't want you to leave me. I think that the ability to give is one of the gifts that is talked about in Romans. It's the ability to give. In order for the ability to give, you have the ability to get. So that is a gift. There are a lot of gifts that are found throughout the Scripture, and one of those gifts is faith. And he even says in 1 Corinthians 13, when it says, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, he's talking about gifting right now. He's talking about if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, that's a gifting. If, I'm, uh, uh, if I have prophetic powers and understand all knowledge and mysteries, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains or remove the mulberry tree doesn't say that, but you can put it in there. I am nothing. So faith is a gift. And some of you have met those people. I'm related to one of those people that see things through rose-colored glasses. They have this amazing faith that if we were in Florida and there's this huge hurricane around us and the winds are going and the water's going and the basement is raising with water and we look outside and there's people up to their chest in water and everybody's screaming and crying and we're going to die, my mom would be sitting there saying... God's going to send a boat, honey. God's going to send a boat. She has a level of faith that I believe is a gift, and that's just how she sees things. And so faith is a gift. The third one I want to look at as part of um, something we need to understand is that we can add to our faith through some practical applications of the teachings of Jesus. We can add to that faith. That's why I think when he says, look, I do believe, help me with my unbelief. Lord, I do have faith, help me with the areas that I lack. And I think that's why the disciples could come to him and say, increase our faith. The very statement tells us that they had some level of faith because they trusted that God could give them more faith and they could increase it. When we talk about that faith being a gift real quick, you know, you look at Abraham, and I, I talked about this a little bit. Um, Abraham, with Isaac, when he was walking to Mount Moriah, and he had the fire, and he had the sticks, and Isaac, his son, said, Dad, where's the offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And then when he tells his servants, after they say, hey, we're going to go over there, we are going to go over there and worship, and we are going to come back. Abraham believed, according to Hebrews as well, 11, that God was able to bring him back from the dead. And so Abraham, who's the father of faith, Abraham, who's the father of faith, recognized early on that God could provide, the Lord will provide. So this morning, I want to look at these scriptures, I want to study these scriptures, I want to, I want to uh, look at the, the words that Jesus uses, because I think and I believe after studying this, this has been on my mind since Justin preached the verse, Lord, increase our faith. Immediately my mind went to it, like that's what I'm preaching on. And then next week I want to preach on works. But... This concept of increase our faith. 
Let's look at Luke 17, 5-10. If you have your Bibles, open them up. If you don't, if you have your phone, open it up. Whatever you read, the Scripture's on. I'm reading out of the ESV. I didn't even bring my crutch today, Justin. I left it at home. Luke 17, 5-10 says, The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be rooted and planted in the sea, be uprooted, sorry, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Verse 7, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at my table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. Excuse me, we have only done what was our duty. As I see in this scripture right here, Jesus is responding to the disciples' request for faith by telling them a parable. They asked for an increased faith. He says, if you had enough faith, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and thrown into the sea. And then he goes on to tell them a parable about faith. But prior to that, this is what's interesting. A lot of times we do the 2020 rule. Prior to that, he tells them some other teachings that are important that all of us can relate to. And especially if you've been married or uh, have been born or you've had a little brother or a little sister or you've had a coworker or you've had a friend or you've had someone sit section in class. You can all relate to this. In verse Uh, Verses 1 through 4, Luke 17. And this is when the apostles said, I'm backing up a little bit, when the apostles said, increase our faith, I believe it was in response to the teaching that he had just given them. I think when he said, increase our faith, God, increase our faith, Lord, it's because what he just told them, they needed more faith to heed what he just said. In Luke 17... Verse 1, it says, And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. If there is not a more difficult teaching in the New Testament, I, don't, I, don't, I can't think of a more difficult teaching. I can't think of believe that God exists and have faith. I believe that. It makes sense to me. You can look at the stars, and you can look at the grass, and you can look at the flowers. You can see the result of the wind. Yes, I believe there's a God. Love your wife. Okay, I can love my wife. How do you love your wife? I'm going to be patient and kind. Forgive someone that seven times in one day trespasses against you and then comes up and says, I'm sorry, I repent, please forgive me. And God says, you must forgive him. And to that they say, increase our faith. Help us heed this. Help me. Help me follow you because this is a tough teaching. Anybody that's ever been married or has children or had someone sit next to them in class who stole their pencil, broke it, and said, I'm sorry, forgive me. Okay, you sinned against me, I forgive you. You put another pencil on the desk, 
look, I'm really sorry. It got the best of me. Please forgive me. And God keeps saying, just forgive them. I'm going to need some serious help with that one, Lord. And when I look at this passage, and when they ask increase our faith, I don't think God, I don't think Jesus, I don't think the Lord is saying, figure it out. If you had enough faith, you could do it. If you had enough faith as a mustard seed, you could say to the tree, you could do the impossible. I think what he's setting up is, here is how you increase your faith. This is what you're to do to increase your faith. In his very next passage, the very next parable is about a servant who has a master. That's what the parable is about. Let's do some practical application for a second. Do you have a master? Are you a servant? Everyone has a master. And everyone is a slave or a servant to something. Everyone. You're either a servant or a slave to God, or you're a servant or a slave to something else. You can fill it in with whatever you want. That's the reality of what Jesus is teaching us here. And we look as, as this, this story goes on when he says, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. If his whole teaching about increase our faith is become a servant to the master. You want an increased faith when anxiety hits? You want an increased faith when work gets tough? You want an increased faith when marriage gets tough? You want an increased faith when raising children gets tough? Then serve the master. I think that's what he's telling us. I think that's his response. Okay, you want, I'll increase your faith. Go serve. And if you look throughout the New Testament and you see the people and the verses and the, and the, and the examples that we have, in Romans chapter 1 we see Paul Paul, uh, he starts his letter, his first letter recorded that we have in, in the order, the first letter we have in Romans, he says, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Well, that word slave is doulos, and it's bondservant. It's voluntary slave. And then he goes on to say, later on in Luke's, or in, uh, uh, in Romans, as he's writing, you know, <laughs> in Romans chapter 6, when he talks about verse 14, Oh, I'm sorry, verse uh, 15. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, obey either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. He, Paul is continuing this letter to the church at Rome. He calls himself a bondservant. He calls himself a slave. And then he goes on to talk to these people who are saying, oh, we can sin because grace is amazing. And the more we sin, the more grace increases. Wonderful. And he says, God forbid that. You died to sin. Or don't you know that anyone who is baptized into Christ has been baptized into his death? And then he goes on to say in Romans 6, 14, that you are no longer your own because you have presented yourself, you have offered yourself to God to obey him as a servant. And there are people, there are Christians within the church 
that very easily go, you know what? I am a slave to God in everything except for this 1% of my life. And if that 1% of your life is putting you, putting you under that master, then he is not your master. Is that too harsh, Steve? I, I, I see that's what the Scriptures are talking about. And then in 1 Corinthians 16, it says, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. You're a slave because you chose to be one. He purchased you with His blood. You accepted the invitation. And He says, I am your slave. I'm going to serve you. That will increase your faith. And it increases your faith because it works. It works. It works. I've seen it work. I've done the opposite. I've, I've messed up. I've made mistakes. And I've done opposite of what God wanted me to do. While a Christian, while a redeemed man, while recognizing his lordship over my life, I stumbled and I, and I chose to do my own thing, and the result was pain. But then, when I said, oh God, I need to do this, and I have to, rekind, I have to reply to someone with a kind word rather than a harsh word, and I do what God says, the result is positive. So when I say it works, it's because it works. Now, that doesn't mean who you respond to is going to accept it as Jesus would. But that's not your concern. Your concern is you, me, us, doing it God's way because that's what a servant does. Increase my faith, serve me. When you look at Paul, it says Paul fought the fight. He fought, he finished, and he kept. He fought the fight, he finished the race, he kept the faith in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And when you look at the life of Paul, you don't see someone who I would consider lukewarm. You don't see someone that goes, oh yeah, I love church, but I'm going to do five of my seven days of the week being my own Lord. And then two days, I'm going to work really hard on that one day outside of Sunday. Sunday, I'm going to put on a great face and I'm going to come in here and life's going to be good. That's not lordship with Jesus. Lordship is every day, every day, every day. And when you see Paul, when you see Paul in the New Testament, if you want to read some of the stuff he went through, um, 2 Corinthians uh, 11, after he was converted in Acts chapter 9, and it's told the story again in Acts chapter 22, in 2 Corinthians 11, the stuff that he went through, we don't need to read it because I don't want to cut into some other areas, but goodness, I might as well read it now. 2 Corinthians 11, 25. Look at what he went through. He says, uh, it's not even 25, 24. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. This guy lived a life of serving his master. And that's why he can say that I, Paul, a doulos, a bondservant, a voluntary slave to Jesus Christ. And that's why he can pen half of the New Testament. 
Because I don't see Paul going back and forth. I see him bought in saying, this is my king. This is my master. Increase my faith, live like Paul. I'm not suggesting you go on a ship and get shipwrecked. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, follow Paul as he follows Christ. How can I serve the church? And you look, that when I say the church, that's exactly what Jesus referred to in the book of Acts. When he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul was persecuting the body of Christ. And Jesus related that to himself. He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So when you persecute the church, you're persecuting Jesus. When you serve the church, you're serving Jesus. Does that make sense? I think that's a pretty consistent parallel there when we look at scriptures. Now, the second thing that I want to look at is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, and it's because one of my giftings is uh, evangelism. And evangelism, I believe, comes from the root word evangel, and it's someone that goes on before the Lord and before the Spirit. It's one half a page. It's no chapter two. It's just one little page, Philemon. It's right before the book of Hebrews. And Philemon... And, it's, uh, and it's, it's actually verse uh, 6, but I'll read verse 4. It says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear, about, I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. I... Re- I re- um, I memorize this verse in NIV when it says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. So Paul is writing to his brother Philemon, and he says, my prayer for you is that you are active in sharing your faith about Jesus so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Is sharing your faith something that a servant would do to the king, for the king? Of course it is. So sharing their faith actually increased their faith because through the sharing of their faith, they were able to recognize every good thing that they had in Jesus. Uh, 1 Peter 4.10, this is another one of my favorite passages. 1 Peter 4.10, it talks about being stewards of the grace of God. So, If you start in verse 10, it says, As each has received a gift, now keep this in mind, this is not something you earn. This is not something that that you decided, okay, I'm going to earn this, I'm going to do this, and therefore uh, it, it belongs to me. This is a gift. This is something that God gave to whom? In 1 Peter 4.10, it says, As each has received a gift. Who is he writing to here? He is writing to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He is talking to Christian people. He's not signaling out, or singling out rather, he's not singling out Peter here. He's writing to groups of Christians and churches in different areas. And he says, each of you, as each has received a gift, NIV says, as uh, each of you has received a gift, so... Um, as each has received a gift, 
Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, the reason I want you to do this, the reason I want you to share the gift that was given to you, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Here's what I think. I think that when we use the gift that God has given us to glorify God, our faith is increased. Because that parallels, in my mind, Luke 17, where he says, you want an increased faith? Obey your master. Serve your master. And then when you have done what you were supposed to do, don't do a touchdown dance in the end zone. That's the worst thing about football. I can't even watch football anymore. A guy makes a basic tackle and he does a dance. It's all about him. It's all about personal glory. And that's not what we see in Scripture. It says you have simply done what you were called to do when you signed up to be a servant to the King of Kings. That's biblical. That's what it teaches. And probably another one of my favorite passages, Hebrews chapter 11. When you look at Hebrews 11, and you see this concept of the Hall of Fame of Faith, and all of these people that are mentioned, and some that are not mentioned, are not told what they did. Not told what they did. This ties directly in with James chapter 2. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. These all died in faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months. And by faith, he decided not to accept the, the pleasures of Egypt. Uh, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. And it, it says we have much more to say about uh, uh, Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. All who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight by faith. Notice it does not say who through belief, a mental acceptance, and a sitting on of the hands received the promises that God had talked about. Every one of these, by faith, there was an attachment to what they were doing, showing their faith. This is why we're going to talk about faith and works next week, because it's one of the most misunderstood concepts in the entire Bible. In James chapter 2, he's talking and he says, faith without works is dead. You show me uh, your faith by, uh, he says, I will show you my faith by my works and i got to go now to it, sorry. I got messed up for a second. James 2. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And the context of that, the context of that is someone comes into your church building, someone comes into your fellowship, they don't have the proper clothes or they don't have clothes uh, to wear, they don't have food to eat, and you say, hey, good luck, stay warm and well fed, peace out. That's not faith. Faith is feeding them 
and clothing them. It is an action word. And then going back to the very beginning of the message, when I said this Greek word is constancy of such profession, there are too many Christians that, and I use this lightly because they have a dead faith, and a dead faith is a dangerous faith. A live faith is a real faith that God expects if He is your master. That's what God expects. That's what God calls us to. So when you look at Hebrews chapter 11, and every single one of these people, by faith they this, and by faith they that, and by faith they did this, these people that were doing these things, their faith was constantly increasing throughout their lives because they were serving God. So when Jesus says to them the parable of the servant, in response to the command, demand, request, increase our faith, I look at this and I go, put yourself in, put yourself in their shoes for just two minutes. Just put yourself in their shoes for two minutes. And you go to Jesus. And you have the opportunity to go to Jesus. And you're standing there before Him, or you're sitting there, you're kneeling before Him, and you're like, man, I, I'm having a hard time forgiving my brother. I'm having a hard time forgiving my spouse. I'm having a hard time forgiving my employer. I'm having a hard time forgiving my employees. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter if they sin against you seven times and they come back to you and they repent and you, you, know, you challenge them and they repent, forgive them. Forgive them. God, I, I'm going to need more faith. I, I don't have enough faith. I don't have enough faith right now to do that. I mean, you don't understand, God. They, they you know, they, they totally cheated me or they lied to me. They took advantage of our relationship. Whatever it is, I, I don't have what it takes to forgive them. He goes, okay, I'll increase your faith. Serve me. <laughs> that's what Luke 17 says. I'm open to a disagreement on it. Serve me. Serve me. You want your faith increased? Serve me. Make me your master. And then your faith will increase. Thank you for preaching that message, Justin, because that was the catalyst for me getting into that. In fact, right after your sermon, I was talking to you and Steve about it, and I went, look at what he says. He doesn't answer right away. He gives them, like, oh, yeah, if you had more faith, you could throw this tree into the ocean and it'd go. What? What kind of answer is that? Now, if you're interested in a deeper faith, and serving the church is the way to get it. We've got more weeds at our house than you can shake a stick out. So, I'm just kidding. We don't. There is always opportunity to serve. I came in this morning at 10.05 and there's, there's people running around. How's your faith doing? That's pretty good. Struggle, right, like the rest of us? But how would it be without serving? Nothing. Be nothing. Peg? It's needed right now, right? It's needed. I need to serve so that my faith can be built upon constantly. But there's two parts to this. The first part is, yeah, opportunity to serve. There's always opportunity to serve. Brenda and I were talking this morning about doing something in the foyer and putting new doors on there. Know, making these doors open better and a little tighter and all that stuff, stuff that we can manually do and 
we can, you know, serve the church body in the, in the bricks and mortar we have here. That's the first part. There's always opportunity, and I, I think we're going to be finding opportunities throughout this next couple of months to serve. Um, but I think the key component of that is who's the master? Who's the master? That's right, Vern. Who's the master? And that's only something that you can answer. Nobody else can answer for it. Uh, God bless you guys this morning. Thanks for listening. I hope you got something out of it. If you have any questions or comments afterwards, you know I'm always here sticking around. Uh, who has the communion meditation? Dan, right on. All right.